listening to Bits of Me, the podcast about women's bodies, all the things we should know about them, and all the stories behind them. In this episode, I talk to Emer O'Neill, who was heavily pregnant when lockdown hit. She shares her experience of giving birth, recovering in hospital, figuring out breastfeeding, and spending the first few precious months with a new baby under lockdown. So back when lockdown happened, you were very pregnant. When the coronavirus pandemic, when it kicked off and came here, were you worried at any point about how that might impact on your maternity care or labour or anything? Yeah, like I was. I tried to keep as calm as possible. To be honest, um, I did kind of start having a, um, little bouts of anxiety. So I, I went to a meditation and stress relief course to try and help me because I was kind of thinking of the worst of everything. Um, I think as you do when you're pregnant because um, you're just mm. so, so unknown. And um, the fact that there was a virus at the same time was just mind-boggling I didn't know what to expect when I went into the hospital I didn't know could like my husband come with me or what the story was at all um and I'm just kind of in a way I'm glad I had had a child already yeah uh to know what to expect in a sense I do really my heart goes out to mums who are first-time mums and are having their babies during a pandemic because that's it's no joke you know you have to be very strong because you're basically going to do it all on your own. If you go in there and you're not uh, dilated yet, um, you're on your own mm. until that, that period of time comes. And if it happens quickly for you, you're on your own until that happens. And, you know, in, in, in my circumstance, you know, my husband just about made it in for the birth of our child. Yeah, tell so me I what done happened. all of the labour. I, yeah, I know so, so that it was the end of, of April and you went into labour. Yeah, and um, we so I wasn't actually due until May, and uh, it was the twenty fourth of April, and I just I just knew um you know that it wasn't Braxton Braxton Hicks. I knew this was the real deal, so I tried to stay at home as long as I could because I had been told if you go in there and you're not dilated, you'll go into a ward and a labour ward, and your husband will have to go and leave. He won't mm. be allowed in there. So that was just in the back of my head, but I also knew that I had had my son really quickly. So I was afraid at the same time that if I waited too long, I might end up having the baby at home and I did not want that, you Mm. know. So anyway, I I left it, you know, because it started, you know, maybe at around nine or ten that morning and then by one I said right I think I think we're good to go because the they, the contractions started to become uh quite close together and uh you know I was tracking it on my app on my phone and it was telling me yeah I think it's time you know so I so I did we headed in and in the car I'm not even gonna lie I honestly thought I was gonna have the baby in the car when he, my husband was stopping at red lights and stuff I'm like truck on will you get, go, <laughs> like go straight through them and he's like I'm gonna get a ticket I'm like well would you rather a ticket or a baby in the car <laughs> You know, <laughs> so, um, yeah, when we got there and I uh, was signing in at the administration desk, I was like, uh, where are the contractions gone? Oh, no. <laughs> I swear. And he's looking at me like, are you serious? And she and, you know, the lady who's signing me in, she was like, it happens sometimes, you know, um, you get to the hospital and it's like you nearly shock the baby right back up again. <laughs> 
Christmas. Like, <laughs> yep, I, I think that's um, what's happened. Because I'm not joking. Yeah, I thought I was going to have the baby in the car. And it's not my first time. So I know what it yeah. feels like. <laughs> so I was just like really confused that they were kind of gone. But sure, anyway, when we went went up to um, the delivery ward, um, they had come back again. So I was like, ah, okay, there they are. But they weren't really as, as strong as they had been. And um, they they checked me out and they were like, yeah, you're not even a centimetre dilated yet. And I was like, damn, because I knew what that meant. I knew, you know, Sean was going to have to leave. Mm. Um, and they said, like, usually they might send you home but because I had my son so quickly they said we want to monitor you for you for, for a couple of hours and then we'll see and yeah. we'll see whether we, we'll send you home or not you know so they sent me down to the labour ward then and um, I was down there on my own from I'd say about two Um, constri- contractions started to pick up and I knew like it was happening today like you mm. know um, I knew my body was telling me it's happening today so it was just a matter of when and um, you know I was doing the ball I was bouncing on the ball and I was doing my squats and then uh, the midwife said you know what I bet you, if you go into uh, the shower and have a shower um, I bet that'll bring it on for you mm. so I was like look you know best fair enough you know and I'm in pain I am in pain but I'm like you know I'll do whatever I need to do so I did I went in and I had my own little concert I had Kings Leon playing on my phone (laughs) whilst in a lovely warm shower with contractions coming and I was squatting and trying to stand as much as I can and just kind of you know open up my space just so I could really prepare my body you know let them know I'm ready we're ready to do this um and then I'd say by um four I had gone back into my room and I kind of just, you know, I called for the midwife at about maybe like five, five past five. And I was like, yeah, okay, I think I might have left it a bit too long. And she's like, what, is it really bad? And I said, yep, yep, it's bad. She's like, right, come on, we'll walk down to the delivery ward. I was like, yep, I'm not going to be able to do that. (laughs) Like I couldn't even walk. I couldn't even walk. So they put me straight into a wheelchair and they were like, text your husband. So... I, I, I text him and I hadn't got a response by the time I'd gotten to the um, delivery ward. And um, so I rang him and I was like, get your ass up here. Where are you? <laughs> and that was at about quarter to six or 20 to six. So he, he, he arrived in at quarter to six. So, um, you know, I was in the throes of it all, I suppose, by then. Um, but sure, I had my little girl, Sunny Ray, at 18 minutes past six. Yeah. So he arrived at a quarter to six <laughs> and within 30, you know, five minutes, the baby was there. So I had mm. done the entire labor alone, except for the last 30 minutes. And, and I was not prepared for that. I wasn't, you know, like they were great. I was in Hollis Street. They were great. You know, I was alone. I did feel like I was alone a lot of the time. Like there was nobody there with me rubbing my back. There was nobody holding my hand. Like I Mm. did all that prep work all on my own. You know, they came in and checked on me every now and then. But, you know, if I was a first time mum, I'd say I would have been really freaked out, to be honest. But um, I I, I don't know. There was a lot of other mums around that were doing the same thing. So you kind of just pull your socks up and get on with it, don't you? It's like... I mean you have two choices you do it or you're not going to do it like do you want to see your child or not and do you want this to be a good experience or a bad one so you know and I'm kind of used to that in life in general where I just you know I say look pull up the socks and we'll get on with this here and I'll I'll like you know I'll make noise about it maybe later when it's all over but right now you know I gotta focus on the prize and that's getting her here safely and 
Um, yeah, so just, yeah, it was, it was scary. It was scary. And I, I would have liked to have not been on my own. You mm. know, I was texting him and himself and I was FaceTiming him and all that jazz, you know, but he really should have been there with me, you mm. know, and, and that's the sad thing. And it was his first time, you know, going through that. So it was sad too for him to have missed that. Mm. Um, yeah. And then on top of all of that, once she arrived they let him stay there for about half an hour so she she held him or sorry he held her for half an hour and then they said look right we need to get these two up to a bed um Mm. you know obviously he was absolutely wrecked like i had literally nothing left in me nothing and um yeah we went up and then like later on that day i found out that uh, she had a rash on her and i had really high blood pressure Mm. and i did not have that before so this was like coming from nowhere you know um i I was quite sick now during the pregnancy but the blood pressure was a new thing high blood pressure so yeah they they basically told me the next day look we're gonna have to keep you in for six days and i was like what are you serious and i was like no (laughs) no 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 and they were like honestly with her rash we don't know what it is we need to get you know, doctors down here to have a look at her. We mm. need to figure it out. Your blood pressure, like we we wouldn't be letting you go. It's just standard. Yeah. I'm sorry, you know. And <clears throat> yeah, I just I was not prepared for that um at all. You know, because I'd already done such a whopper thing on my own. All I just wanted was to get home and be with my husband and my son and yeah. be in my house. You know, and start that kind of cocooning. You know period of time you know and um yeah well I didn't have it and uh, my husband didn't see our daughter until she was um a week old god yeah didn't see her again until she was a week old it was hard it was really hard yeah yeah you've been very vocal about racism in Ireland and growing up as a black Irish woman um I'm curious about, I mean, a lot of people talk about misogynoir and the treatment of black women in childbirth. Um, Mm. In your experience, do you think that your care and what you went through was in any way impacted by racism or what was it like for you? No, I wouldn't say it had any influence whatsoever. Um, In fact, one of the midwives who was looking after me, I actually went to school with her and um, I I knew her her younger sister quite well. Mm you know if that gives you you know geez Ireland is a small place (laughs) you know and no not at all and I was there for seven days and uh the treatment was great and I I it never even crossed my mind if there was a period where I was feeling badly that it had anything to do with the staff necessarily I know they were all doing the best that they could they their they their wars were full they were run off their feet um, and they were trying to deal with a pandemic and their mm. own safety at the same time as looking after us. So, you yeah. know, it never even crossed my mind, look, that I'm feeling bad or like there's, I didn't get that glass of water that I asked for. And that's because I'm a, a black woman, like it, not at all, not in the slightest. I was treated like everybody else was there. Yeah. You know, um, and they did a great job. Tell me about your your breastfeeding journey. You've talked a lot about that as well and how important it is to you, but I know it wasn't easy at the start. Yeah, it's so important to me. Like I did breastfeed with my son. I just wasn't in the same position with him because I was a single parent at the time and I had to go back to work when he was 
two months old and just being away for so long and back and forth it just it kind of messed him up a little bit and so he stopped breastfeeding at like five months and I wasn't ready for that um like people had asked me like oh when are you gonna stop breastfeeding and I'm like oh I don't know I'm not sure when I'll feel like it and uh, not realizing that he'd turn around one day and be like nope not interest anymore man yeah. thanks like I'm I'm a bottle boy now you know so uh it was it was that was tough and there was a lot of stuff I even then just you know you know we're talking like six years ago um you know I didn't get any photographs of myself breastfeeding or anything I just I don't think I really realized how amazing what I was doing was and I knew I loved it, but I was I just, there was too much. I had too much stressors, I think, in life at that time to mm. really thoroughly enjoy what was happening. Um, so this time around, it was so important for me to just be there in the moment of every moment that I could when it came to feeding and um, to not give up. And um, yeah, initially, like, it, it was just so weird because I, I thought, I'm sure, I know how to do this. I did it for five months, not a bother. I'll just throw her here around the boob, we'd be grand. Mm. And yeah, it wasn't that easy at all. Um, I, I couldn't get her to latch. I just, I couldn't. And it was tough. And there was, I was in there for a week, you know, thankfully, that's one good thing I think is that I did have midwives around me to help me mm. with the breastfeeding. Um, and I had one, um, midwife in particular who you know really kind of is in charge of let's say breastfeeding in the clinic and helping mums and she was just excellent you know and she was she just guided me and one of the days she'd come in and obviously because I've had a child before and I had breastfed they weren't really that concerned with me like they were like she'll get it it'll be fine and then like she came in and I was like I I'm not getting it I'm just I'm not and I was like I just had a little cry mm. and she was like look come here, let me what? Let me see you do it. Just, you know, go. And I went and she goes, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what the problem is? And I was like, I have no idea what the problem is. <laughs> and she was like, you're breastfeeding her as if she was like three months old. Oh, okay. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, just look at, look at the way you're holding her. Like, that's the way you would have been breastfeeding your son Kai, but not in the beginning, if you remember. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't remember. And she's like, exactly. So she was showing me all the different holes that I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about them. And um, <laughs> yeah, sure. That, that changed everything. You know, it still was difficult. And there was a lot of difficult times when we came home because I feel like this happened to me with Kai too, that I was breastfeeding for like three weeks and I was like, yeah, like I've got this. Like I am, I literally should just teach people to breastfeed because I'm so good at this. And then boom, he they, they, he wouldn't latch for me. And she did the exact same thing to me when I mm. thought I was a pro. I was mm. just set right back to being a novice just with a blink of an eye. And I, I, I just, you know, I was back with, I was getting the cabbage leaves because my boobs were engorged because I yeah. couldn't get my milk. And I was, then I was expressing and, you know, and there's times, you know, my husband said to me, Emer, like, I'm here. I want to help. Like, will we just give her the bottle? And now it's not putting it on him because it was definitely crossing my mind as well. Mm. Um, and I did, I, I reached out to that uh, midwife that I had been in touch with and um, she, she rang me and she said, Emer, if it was easy everybody would do it it's not easy mm. okay some people get lucky and they do think it's easy but for the most part most people's experiences are like yours and it's a roller coaster mm. you think you've nailed it and boom out of nowhere you're back as you know a beginner again mm. and she said what you're doing is so important for your child and for her growth 
and for her health and for your bonding and for you like you can do this and I know you want to do this Mm. and you've come this far already don't give up and I know it's easy to just say ah sure a little night feed with a bottle will be fine or this or that she's like I'm telling you you're just gonna make it harder for yourself in the long run just stick with what you've been doing just give it another few weeks and I promise you you know and sure of course she was dead right and once I had said it to my husband what we were doing this amazing thing for our daughter he was on board straight away and I never Mm. heard look sure will I give her a bottle again it never it never was talked about again you know um so yeah it's been a trip it's been a journey but um I'm so glad so so glad I didn't give up it's like Mm. it's the most beautiful moment that she and I share on the daily basis um like you know we talk about like natural highs and endorphins and serotonin released like oh Mm. man when I'm breastfeeding I'm just I'm on top of the world and I just feel so connected to her you know um and uh that those those you know positive endorphins are just flying all over the place just from breastfeeding you know what about the experience of um maternity leave and early motherhood during a pandemic like obviously a lot of people would be busy going to mother and baby yoga and breastfeeding support groups and all that what's that been like for you Uh, that's a great question yeah I do miss that to be honest you know because I've made I made some of my really good pals actually um through my breastfeeding group when I had my son you know so this time around I've you know I've obviously I've missed out on that and that has been hard Uh, to be honest I'm a bit of a home bird anyway Mm. so in a sense it's kind of nice to not have to be making excuses as to why I'm not coming to the you know the class or the meeting today when I'm just feeling like meh you know, I'm having those meh days. Whereas because we kind of have to stay in and there are no classes going on, I never have to make those excuses. But it does mean that I have to really keep on top of my mental health because mm. um, I could very easily just stay in the house and, you know, not, you know, chat with people or engage or chat with other moms and see how they're getting on and are they feeling the same as me and so on and so forth, you know. Um, like one of my friends, Melissa, has specifically when when we were allowed to meet up there for the last couple of months, um, mm. she was texting me every week. Emer, are you coming to the group today? Emer, are you coming to the group today? And I'm like, Meh. <laughs> I'm so tired. And she's like, Emer, come on, you know, you need to meet people, come out and see new mums. Honestly, it'll be you'll be revitalized, you know. So yeah, like in that sense, like it, it has been tough, and I know especially for mums that would. Um, really need that kind of support and love you know having the coffees with the other mums and all that kind of stuff like it's very very hard to not have that support system this time around definitely even that like even if I didn't want to go but just to have that option if I wanted to you know we just we don't have it mm. so what we have done is we've set up a group a whatsapp group and there has been you know just you know lots of chats on that and uh, yeah. when we were able to um you know the girls have been going out and meeting up just as mums as you know but no sorry not as mums as humans as women you know separate from their babies for for a couple of hours which has been nice too um but yeah it's definitely different there just there isn't as as much support like I remember even when I had Kai like I had um midwives and I had nurses calling to me for weeks after you know checking on let's say my stitches or 
helping me with breastfeeding or mm. whatever, or even, you know, if I was down or just keeping an eye on me. And this time around, I, I just haven't had that. Like, I've only had, like, Sunny Ray's only been weighed any of the, only the times that I've gone in just for injections. Whereas before I was getting her weighed, like, every time I went to my group or, yeah. like, every time a midwife came to the house. Uh, like, so I couldn't even tell you what she weighs now have um, you been well no, I, like you haven't needed any additional care or anything after the labor no no I was great so I had natural birth which you know wasn't a plan my plan was we'll see what happens mm. um and you know I think by the time I had gone down uh, I was so so dilated and they were like you look you basically did it with nothing last time I think you can do this and I'm like eh, okay so you know I do feel like that helps a lot with mm. the recovery because you are able to get up and go right away you know yeah. um and um yeah so I did have stitches all right but um they healed up nicely and um yeah, I was. I didn't have any re- any issues. It was just the high blood pressure. I did have to take blood pressure medication for a couple of weeks, mm. um, and then after about two weeks, my blood pressure went back down to normal. So that was great. So now I don't have. I'm not on anything, and I don't have to. You know, get checked up for anything. Everything is kind of smooth sailing. Touch wood at mm. the moment. Do you have any advice for someone who might be pregnant for the first time and who's about to go through all this during a pandemic, birth, new motherhood, all that? What would you say? Yeah. Like I did say to myself, geez, I need to write all these things down <laughs> for, for for either the next time or for somebody else. And I, I, there was a list of like, and it was just simple things like I'd, rookie mistakes, for instance. Like I brought two bags, but I had my two bags mixed with things. And then when it came time for me to go to the delivery ward. They were like, you can only take one bag with you. And I'm like, oh, I don't know which one to take because there's bits of everything and everything, you know? And I didn't think that one through. So one of the things would be to make sure that you have one bag that has like everything that you think you would need during labor um, and the moments afterwards, for instance, the nappies and whatever first clothings you want on the baby hat or whatever those kind of things are. And like, if you had planned to, you know, so I had planned to have my incense thing, you know, you, you, you stick it in and it's this steam diffuser thing in the room. Sure. Yeah. That was in the other, other bag, of course. So that went out the window. I had my, you know, I was going to have music set up and not sure. Look, all of it went out the window. And so that, I suppose that brings me to the other point of you might have a plan. Um, but mm. that's not to say that things will necessarily go to plan and don't worry about that because mm. it's supposed to happen the way it's supposed to happen. And that's just it, you know, and it'll prepare you for motherhood because you have a plan for raising your child, but you don't know that it's necessarily going to work out that way. So mm. it's, you know, perfect way to start uh, your journey as a mother. The other thing was too, I wished I had brought a longer cable for my phone. I know these seem really ridiculous, but like it's the little <laughs> things in life, you know, like my charger was too short because the plugs were up behind the headboard. So like within a couple of days, I was like to my husband, you have to bring me in like either an extension wire or like a longer cord before I lose my mind <laughs> trying to charge this phone. Um and um yeah like I suppose just pack all like you know your essentials and you know make sure you have your your, your pads and I think it is great to have a pump ready to go just in case like it was a lifesaver for me now they they did um 
give me one in in hospital. They had them in hospital, let's say, if you stay over. But even just like for yourself when you go home, because if you are struggling to breastfeed and your boobs are getting um, enlarged, like the pain of that is like no other. So it's so helpful to to just pump because then that way mm. you still keep your milk. You, you don't stress out. It's fine. You pump it and you'll get it to your baby somehow. Um, and at least your boobs won't, you know, completely swell like that. Because once the breasts, I think, really in, enlarge, um, it's so hard for the the baby to actually get onto the nipple. And it's very painful for you as well. And mm. mastitis you're talking about possibly yeah. next. And, you know, all that. So I think having a a pump ready to go, to go is, is just a good idea. Like, I, it's, it's really, it's got me out of some sticky situations, you know. And I think it's the reason why I've been very lucky to not have mastitis or... Mm. Um, you know, or or when I was struggling with breastfeeding to not give up, you know. Um, so, yeah, but I'd love anybody at all to reach out to me because I'm sure there's loads of stuff now in my mind that I'd be like, oh, I should have said that. Because <laughs> they are, they do help. Like bring one of your own pillows. That was another thing. I would have loved to have had one of my own pillows because yeah. they only had a certain amount of pillows. And with COVID, there wasn't as much bed changing and all that kind of stuff, mm. you know, so... It's just it's small things, you know, and and do something nice for yourself. Like for me, I I, I bought myself this really cute little um kind of wash bag and like eye thing because it was very noisy. I'll say that. Okay. I was super glad, yeah. And so one of the days I did have to get um and I was in there for a long time, you know. So I did have to get earplugs and I was glad that I had brought I thought I was being really funny buying one of these eye masks but like mm. I'd have been lost without it because the lights are on most of the time because like you know your mums are up feeding like all yeah. night and you just don't know you could be in a room with somebody who's a really heavy snorer <laughs> you could be in with you know a mum who has a colicky baby and is struggling like you could be beside me and I could be crying at 1am in the morning mm. like you know so you gotta be prepared <laughs> for these things you know um, so yeah those things that was nice but I felt pretty I felt like you know nice when I had my little cute bag and I took out my eye thing you know mm. just those little things for yourself and your nice smelly washes and a bit of spray you know just you think of yourself as well with it all because you're so consumed with your little one and how important yeah. their lives are but you know you really have to maintain your own uh, well-being as well mm. so speaking of of your little one if you could make one wish for for Sunny Ray and for Ireland or the Ireland that she grows up in, thinking of Ireland's past, thinking of, of your upbringing and what you've been through, what would that be? Well, for me, I don't know that it will happen in Sunny Ray or my son Kyan's lifetime. Well, it won't. But what I do hope is that my grandkids, so their children, will have to ask me what was it like... Um, to encounter racism just imagine that like for me that like my my stomach actually has butterflies even just saying it out loud and I'm getting goosebumps but um the idea that I could have grandkids that would say to me um granny what was it like like when people were being racist to you what did it feel like or like what did they do because they themselves do not have to encounter that anymore in this mm. world that we live in and Honestly, that's the biggest thing for me, you know, and I just, you know, it's so important that my, my kids are represented in every walk of life, everywhere that they go. It really hurts my heart to 
to not see my son represented in so many different things that he, he does and be the only person that's black in, mm. in certain things, you know, um, it's tough. And, and he notices it, you know, he's only six, but he has been very vocal to me. You know, he actually said to me the other day that he would like to live in a country that had more black people because he would feel better. And, oh. you know, that like it's it's so it's so painful because I, I understand him. I do understand it. And I, and I yeah. know that feeling and, and it hurts so badly because I know I remember how much that hurt. Um, even this morning, honestly, he, he said to me, um, I want my hair to be able to um, sway in the wind the way, my, like he didn't say sway, but uh, move in the wind the way, and he mentioned two of his mate's hair does, you know, and it's just something as simple as that. And I can totally yeah. relate to it too, because we have an afro, our hair does not blow in the wind, it just stays still. And, mm. you know, I, like I remember putting, you know, um, pillowcases on my head and Ooh, and just being like, oh, look, I have floaty hair. Like, you know, just yeah. anything to look like everybody else or feel what that felt like. You know, but understanding that, like, you will never at the end of the day. And I have to be really honest with him. I'm like, baby, your hair is never going to blow in the wind. We just don't have blow in the hair or wind kind of hair. And mm. and I know that can be hard to hear, but it's it's important that he, he understands that and starts loving himself for who he is. But I think the only way because in his home he is lifted up all the time mm. but it's when he watches tv or he watches his kids shows or he's in school and he's reading books and he's buying games and there's action figures and there's this and they're not if you notice the majority of the time the hero or the whatever of everything is always white mm. and that's 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 tough you know to to be a black child and want to be like this superhero that you know you can never be like and not be able to have your own superheroes to look up to for your future you get yeah. me and so for me I, I just kind of hope that Ireland changes in that sense that like we will have more people of colour like in government in leadership roles in the media especially in the media it's that's so influential and I and you know and in education you know I've gone on about that like I never ever saw a teacher of colour in my life so the idea of me wanting to be a teacher and then becoming a teacher was just a dream that I had. It wasn't something I ever saw that was possible necessarily for somebody mm. like me. Um, same thing with being a principal or a deputy principal. Like there isn't one in the enti in the entire country. There is not um, a black principal in the entire country yeah. in Ireland. Um, you know, so even for me as an adult, you know, the way you, you want to, you see, you have to see it to believe it. Like if I yeah. was to use that mantra, like I would constantly be saying, well, I won't be able to do that. And I can't do that because it's never been done before. And I can't do that because it's never been done before. And I don't want my kids, not that that's the way I am. Clearly it's not. Clearly because I not. just grab the bull by the horns and I'm, I don't care. If I have to be the mm. first at whatever it is, I will be. And that's fine. But I don't think kids should have to go through that. You know, mm. it, it, it's painful. Um, and I think it's important as a society that we kind of, burst that bubble that we're living in where we feel like privilege is not a thing and that Ireland is is full of equality and everyone is represented because it is just not true and it's not mm. and um you know I think our stereotypical um ideal of what an Irish typical Irish person looks like is no more and we have to start coming to terms with that as a country and it's a brilliant thing because difference is is brilliant difference mm. is good 
It's not bad. We need to embrace difference and uniqueness. Um, and I think it's just, it makes Ireland such a beautiful place, the more diverse we're becoming. But I think as as Irish people, we need to be ready for that um, mm. and be able to take that on board too in a positive way, you know. And on that, on the subject of visibility, you are a teacher and there are Irish kids growing up with you as their teacher and your model there are irish kids growing up seeing you wearing clothes in the magazines and you're off to rte now to be part of the homeschool hub team so that's it's a good first step you're doing brilliant work in that thank you so much it is and uh it's not been an easy road you know like I, i have spoken about let's say the modeling industry and me working um you know it's not ever something i could ever do full time because i might only get four jobs in an entire year mm. as opposed to some of the models that i model with that would get four jobs in a week you know so it's we're not there but you know we're trying and i'm and i'm trying i'm trying to really highlight this and if it's not me and it's somebody else even better I just think in general just we just need to do a better job of it it's just I need people to stand back and ask why like why are there no black presenters why don't we have a mixed race weatherman or weather woman why don't you know just ask yeah. the questions because if you can give me a good reason I'd like to hear it because I can't think of a good one no. other than the lack of equality and representation you know so That was Emer O'Neill on Bits of Me. Go follow Emer on Instagram at emeroneill14, where you'll find a great mix of modelling shots, breastfeeding chats and talk about racism. Bits of Me is on Instagram and Twitter. I'll link both in the show notes. Sharing and reviewing the podcast helps a lot, so anything you can do is massively appreciated. Thanks for listening.